had a strange experience. I don't know, it was the very late 70s, maybe 1980. My family had kind of wrangled me into going to Florida. Uh, I didn't think we could really swing it, but they, they convinced me that we could. And, you know, three against one, one of them being my wife, that's a powerful force. <laughs> and, so, and so we went to Florida. And it had been raining, as I understand it does there quite a bit. I'd never been in Florida. I was very, very positive I had never been to Florida. I'd never been to a, a, a bordering state to Florida. And it had been raining, and we had the air conditioning on the car, and the car was getting low on the service station, so I pulled in to fill up a gas. And uh, I got out, did whatever I did, and I started putting the gas in. In about a minute and a half, had the strangest feeling. I've been here before. I thought, that's crazy. I haven't been here before. I've never been in Florida before, but yet I felt that I had been there. When I was a psychology minor, so I had a name to put to it. I was experiencing what psychologists call paramnesia. Paramnesia definition is a disorder of memory. That, that suits me okay. I mean, that fits me okay. A, a disorder of memory, especially involving déjà vu. Déjà vu is a feeling of having already experienced the present situation. Psychology Today, in an article that I found, said this. Déjà vu is a common intuitive experience that uh, has happened to many of us. Uh, the expression is derived from the French, meaning already seen. When it occurs, it seems to spark a memory of a place we have already been, which fit me, a person we have already seen, or an act we have already done. It is a signal to pay special attention to what is taking place, perhaps to receive a specific lesson in a certain area or complete that which is not yet finished. Psychology Today. This disorder of memory was caused to me for a long forgotten, faint, but very distinctive smell. Smell connected to some very intense experiences and emotions. Of the five senses of sight, hearing, smell, taste and touch, memory is most readily invoked by the sense of smell. Smell is also the most emotive of the senses. It is closest to our emotions. It will evoke emotions more than any of the other senses. I knew what it was when that memory came. At 9.30 in the morning, an airplane door opened, and in it rushed 95 degrees, 95% humidity. I don't know that I was prepared for it, but I expected it. I'd read about that. I knew that would be. I did not expect the smell. The smell wasn't one that was particularly bad. I wouldn't call it good. 
But it wasn't terrible, but it was very distinctive. It involved a lot of things about the society there, but mostly it involved the tropical climate. You see, the leaves always fall there, and so they're always decaying. And so we get this smell. And I thought, yeah, I've read that Florida is subtropical. I'm catching just a hint, just a hint of that smell, and I was relieved. I was, I was kind of disconcerted to start with. I, I thought, I'm, I'm flipping out here because I know I haven't been here. I want to read a lesson from the book of Genesis, 8th chapter of Genesis, starting in the 13th verse. And it came to pass in the 600th and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the, the waters were dried up from the earth, and the Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. And then the second month, on the seventh and on the seven and twentieth day of the month, was the earth dried, and the God spake unto Moses, saying, Go forth of the ark. Thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee, bring forth with thee uh, every living thing that is with thee, of all flesh, both of the fowl and of the cattle, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. And Noah was, went forth and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every fowl, and whatsoever creepeth on the earth after their kinds went forth out of the ark. And Noah built an altar unto the Lord. And he took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered a burnt offering unto the Lord. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil uh, from his youth, and neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. And while the earth remaineth, and seed time and harvest, and good and, and good and heat, summer and winter, the day and night shall not cease. Text is found in Exodus, 29th chapter in the 8th verse. And thou shalt burn the whole ram upon the altar. And it is a burnt offering unto the Lord. It is a sweet savor, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. My title today is A Sweet Savor. We'll talk first of all about man's perception about God's creation. God created space, matter, and time. God's a spirit. That's what the Bible says, isn't it? He's a spirit. And so he created these things that hadn't existed before. And he did that in preparation, as is mentioned very eloquently. By the way, I really appreciate both the lessons today. I'm sorry I failed to say that in the beginning. He did those, made those, created those things in preparation for the creature that he created in his own likeness. He created him in his own likeness, made him a spiritual being that he might be able to commune with God. That he could worship God, that he could be friends with God. 
man was enabled connect with this environment created for him. And so he could communicate with the Creator. Man was given the abilities to see, hear, touch, smell, and touch. That's the way we, the natural things that are around us, the way that we connect with them. I, I, I marvel at those senses. You know, there's a whole spectrum of energy and there's just a little bit of it there. That's what we call visible light. And God has put some nerves and so forth in our head where that we can perceive that. There's some that's longer and some that's shorter. Ultraviolet light that we can't perceive. This is just a little part of a great big spectrum. He put some things in the side of our head that are sensitive to vibrations in the air. There are vibrations that are, that, that are millions of times and there's some that are very short. And there's a little space in there, 20 to 20,000 hertz vibration per second that is perceptive to our ears. Now, some of us have been in the artillery. Our range is not very big. As you age, it changes. Some animals have a different range. Going to the neighborhood I used to live when it's close to a hospital, and when a, when a hamlet would come in, the dogs would go crazy because of the overtones from the sirens. Didn't bother me because I couldn't perceive them. But you see, God gave us these things that we could perceive the environment in which we live. He gave us fingers and other parts of our body that we can feel with. He gave us a sense of smell. You can't see it but it has a very definite effect. You know, when we get saved, I, I think we have a, we're born anew. And while these things don't change necessarily, He gives us a new heart with which that we can feel. Amen. And I don't know what heaven's like. You know, this uh, space, matter, and time we was talking about, I think that's all going to be gone. Everybody tries to impose here on heaven. It, it's not like that. I don't know what it's like. I have not seen or ear heard those things that God has prepared for those that love him. But if you've been saved, you know a little bit about it because that Holy Spirit bears witness to what that's like. And by the way, when I get there, <laughs> I'm going to have a little paramnesia. Because <laughs> I'm going to say, I know I've never been here before, but oh, it seems like I have. There's a familiar sweet smelling savor. I'm going to jump ahead. I can't keep much line. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. I caught a whiff of that one time under my mother's dining room table. Every once in a while I get to smell it. I smell a little bit here today. But when I get there, the air is going to be saturated with the goodness of Jesus Christ. It is truly going to be a sweet-smelling savor. And I, this is just a similitude. It, it just compares. We can't imagine what it's like. It's going to be more like what I felt under that dining room table when I got saved. Yeah, a new place. Totally new. Amen. 
but I'm going to recognize it, and I'm going to feel it at home. When I was a young preacher, I'm getting off my outline. I'd be made terribly mixed before I get finished. When I was a young preacher, I, sometimes I'd get, you know, an appointment. Some older preacher would have to go somewhere, and so he'd send me to his pastorate. Oh, I hated to go. I didn't know anybody. Didn't know anybody. Had to get directions to church, but I'd find my way to church, and I'd go in, and I didn't know anybody. Boy, I'll tell you some of those places I found at home. Oh, I felt at home. I felt at home. It had a familiar odor to it. it they, they, they believed in the Lord, and he was visiting them, and, and I felt right at home with them. There are good and bad odors. God is good. God smells good. Smells good you've been saved. Read a story years and years ago. Have no idea where. 40 years ago. In England, I think. It may have been in the sermon of Spurgeon. I don't know. But anyway, it was an old story. And this man had lived a very pious life and he had one son, and uh, the man died, and his son had never gotten saved. Kind of lived a wayward life, and of course he inherited all the things of his daddy. And so he was, went in the house and kind of looking at things, and he just got, of course the dad was very upset, I guess, disappointed that his son had never gotten saved. And uh, says as he's going through his stuff, he just terribly upset. He said the statement he made was that every chair smelt of piety the old man's life condemned him I pray that our lives will smell like piety we do put out an odor brethren we do put out an odor but God is good he smells good his perfect attributes and characteristics Combine to make him infinitely holy. Jesus, in the pen of Solomon, said, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. I'm thankful that we get a little preview of that while we're here. Born again Christians are like the Lord Jesus Christ. They take on his characteristics. They smell good. And they are acceptable to the Lord. Now we all know, I, I don't have to go into this, he saves the inside and he keeps it from smelling bad. It, he seals it, the Spirit of God seals it until the day of redemption. Therefore, the groom, the next verse in Song of Solomon, after I quoted, he said, As the lily among the thorns, so is my love among the daughters. In other words, God loves his children, especially his church, Amen. even though they're among the thorns of this old earth. He loves them. Because they smell like his son. God hates sin. It stinks. Why does he hate sin? 
It is the very antithesis of his nature. It's exactly opposite what he is. There's a conflict. It has been, I think, since Lucifer sinned. Certainly has been since the Garden of Eden. We see it exercised there. Always has been, and I think it will be until the Lord comes back. And then, brethren, it's going to end in victory for the Lord. He hates it because it separates God and man. We talked about that he made man, that he might have a friend, that he might communicate with him. We saw in the Garden of Eden before sin that, in fact, that happened every day, that God walked in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. We still have the opportunity to commune with the Lord through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. But he hates sin because it separates that that is in his likeness in him. He hates it because it deceitfully entices man toward a sin-cursed world. And brethren, the world is sin-cursed. So much so that its prince is Lucifer himself. He does not deserve that. He didn't earn it. He usurped that authority, but it has been given to him. And the world is not our friend. It stinks. It smells like sin. It is sin. Now, I don't want you to take this and complain. I love the Lord. I, I, I love him. Thank him for all he's done. I thank him for the natural things that we enjoy. Brethren, I thank him from the bottom of my heart for the country that I lived in and, and, the, and the freedoms that we have enjoyed. And I pray so much that he will preserve that if he can see fit. Amen. But the world is sinful. He hates it because God hates sin because it blinds men from the truth. It also affects our sense of smell, I think. You ever been to church service, people getting blessed, and you just sitting there? Makes you concerned a little bit, does it not? Amen. I'm not smelling this. I understand that's one of the, one of the, 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 the symptoms of COVID for some people. They can't smell or taste. Hey, what? And I go to church service and people are shouting and carrying on and, and you can tell authentically loving the Lord. It makes me worry. I think I'm sick. Because sin has blunted that capacity. Sin enslaves and destroys men. And lastly, the, thing, the last thing I want to enumerate is that it steals the love of man that rightfully belongs to God. And we talk a lot about love. Uh, you know, the whole expectation of God, the law, it, it's love. He said, all the law is encompassed in to love the Lord thy God with all thy mind, heart, soul, and strength. And second to that is to love thy neighbors yourself. Of course, then Jesus came, I think it was mentioned earlier today, he came and, and gave us a new commandment. It's also about love. He said that you love one another. You know, how could you have better than to love God with all of your being and then to love man as yourself? There is a higher love. He said, love one another as I have loved you. Amen. You see, Jesus loved us more than he loved himself because he gave himself for us. Amen. And how beautiful. He says, man will know that you're mine because of that. 
because of that. I had a wonderful experience one time. I was in a wedding rehearsal church where I pastored, and the uh, photographer outside of church was a friend of mine, and uh, he was kind of lulled, things were in the lull, people starting to eat, and he said, uh, Steve, I really like it here. I said, well, Mark, why do you like it here so much? He said, because everybody loves everybody else. I said, thank you, Lord. That's what we want him to think, is it not? Amen. Had a smell about it, didn't it? Right. Smell different than other places because everyone loved everyone else. Fallen man is a sinner. And so he smells bad. He's not pleasing to God and cannot dwell with him. He must be cast out. Then shall he say to them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed, I never knew you. Ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So what is to be done with sin? Sin and the sinner cannot dwell with God. God has prepared, prepared a place for that. It'd be an awful thing to go to eternity and not be saved, not smell good, not be acceptable, be rejected. What an awful thing to miss the sweets of heaven. But that's not all of it. God has prepared a place for sin. He prepared it for the devil and his angels. It said, King, the servants bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, as someone quoted a while ago. The destruction of sin will glorify God eternally. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Along with that, he said, and fear not them that can destroy the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Hell is made for the destruction of sin, the devil and his angels and those that follow him. One more passage on that, and I'll move to the next subject. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are the judgments that he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah, and her smoke rose up forever and ever to glorify God. We talked a while ago about an altar, didn't we? An altar is something that lifts up. You put a burnt sacrifice on there, does that smell good necessarily? It's a sweet savor to God. Why is it a sweet savor to God? Well, the priest took that animal and ceremonially imparted the sins of the sinner. And that amoral animal typically only took upon the sin 
of whoever offered it. And so when it was burnt, that represented the destruction of sin. That's what's sweet to God. Hell. This is about the false church that was destroyed. But it said that smoke would rise up eternally. I think to glorify God. I think it's a sweet savor to God. You see, mankind is going to glorify God. And he's going to be a sweet savor to God either now by taking Jesus on himself, by believing on him, by repenting and, and having that odor, if you will, of Jesus about him that is acceptable unto God. Or he's going to be a, a sweet savor to God as he is destroyed in hell for all of eternity. God's going to get the glory. He's going to get the glory either through obedience or through destruction. Which brings us to the topic of the sweet savor of holy vengeance. This subject is omitted a lot of times by the world that God is a vengeful God. He is. He is. I know that you've been saved that you don't have to fear individually and personally the vengeance of God, but it ought to stir our hearts because our loved ones and this world are subject to that. And if something doesn't change, they're going to suffer eternally the vengeance of God. We need to live in fear. We need to demonstrate to a world that we believe there's a God and not only that he's a God, but he is a God of vengeance. Our life should reference, our life should demonstrate a fear of God. Now you get saved, you're not fearing him in the same way, but we ought to, all, that, the fear of God is beginning of wisdom. It is beginning of wisdom. Uh, Romans the 12th chapter, 19th verse, he says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. That's a good lesson too, brethren. Avenge not yourselves. It's not ours. God forbids us to take revenge. You may be an officer of the law, you may be a judge. You may have to sentence somebody to death, but you can't do it because, you revenge, because of your personal revenge. I think the state has the opportunity and probably the obligation sometimes to punish people. But God reserves vengeance to himself. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth, O God, of whom vengeance belongeth, show thyself. Lift up thyself, thou judge of the earth. Render reward to the proud. And how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? Don't we ask those questions sometimes? We look out at the world and see how wicked it is. And we say how long. This similar idea is expressed in, in, uh, in the book of Revelation. It says, and how long shall they utter and speak hard things and all workers of iniquity boast themselves? How long will this go on? Men seem to think that because God is slow in this that it does not exist. It does. Amen. And we need to preach it and we need to live a life that demonstrates that we believe it. Amen. As the smoke from the burning ram ascended a sweet savor unto the Lord, so will the eternal burning destruction of Satan, his angels, Unbelieving men in sin serve to satisfy God and his law. Law of God's going to be satisfied. It will be a sweet savor to him. God is a God of vengeance. 
He is a consuming fire. Christ was bruised for us, was he not? He suffered the vengeance of God in our place. God's angry with sin. We deserve that vengeance, brethren. We deserve that vengeance for all of eternity. And it was said a while ago before the foundation of the world, in the council halls of God, it was decided that God himself would come and become Emmanuel and live a life that is absolutely perfect. And he wasn't amoral as the lamb was or the ox or whatever they offered. He was totally, completely moral. He was righteous and holy. And he suffered the vengeance of God. That was the hardest part for him, I think. You know, I can hardly imagine the pain. I've studied the physical death of Jesus. I'm sure many of you have. Those, those, uh, Those lessons are available. It was terrible. But the scripture doesn't say he despised the, the pain of it all. He despised the shame of it all. Amen. He was suffering at the hands of the law of God. He was suffering the vengeance of God. He who loved God so much, who was as one with God, and yet his father allowed him to take that upon himself, though he lived an absolutely holy, perfect life. You see, the, the vengeance, the law of God spares no one. I'm going to have to move a little, so I'm, I'm going to skip a little bit here. And, and, and God not only saved mankind, but at the same time, he magnified and honored the law. Isaiah, the 42nd chapter and the 21st verse. And the Lord is well pleased... For his righteousness sake, he will magnify the law and make it honorable. Jesus said, I didn't come away to do, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill it. Amen. You know, people think they can get by. How can you get by when the Son of God himself kept that law and paid the penalty of it and suffered the vengeance of it that it might be lifted up? He sanctioned it, if you will. Now, we can, we're in this flesh, and brethren, it stinks. Because he doesn't save it. But you know, we still have the privilege to present a a, a service to God that's pleasing. How can we do such a thing? Well, I mentioned to you a while ago the, 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 the verse, uh, Psalms 2 2, it says, the, As the lily among the thorns, so is my love among the daughters. While the carnal flesh does not have the capability at all to present a holy sacrifice to God, but it can with the touch of God Himself. You see, you can't, being saved even, you can't, you can't do anything that's acceptable to God. You can't say, look what I did. Because whatever you did, if it's any good, is by the hand of God. 
It's by His grace. We're not just saved by grace. We are saved by grace, but whatever we do, it is by the grace of God. It says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You see, the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and sanctifies us and makes us able to serve the Lord, to present a service to him that is pleasing. And brother, it is a, it is a, 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 a situation, it is a, can't think of the word, uh, it, it, it's something that has to always happen the rest of our life. It's kind of illustrated, I guess, in, in the, Mosaic priesthood. Uh, the tabernacle required constant and careful preparation. When the when the when the priest worked in the tabernacle, there was things that had to be done continuously. Why? Because they were sinners. Number one, they had to wash at the labor. You can go in there without washing at the labor. Labor was brass. I think probably is made out of the looking glasses of the ladies. That's what I've heard. And so it was shiny. It shined it up. And so that labor was there, and you could look and see how dirty you were. Yeah. We need to ask God, don't we? Lord, search my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. Go to that labor and wash. We live in a dirty world. We live in a stinky world, and we've got to always, always cleanse. Have God do it for us. Ask him to. Search me, O God, and know my heart and try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me into thy ways everlasting. Number two, every article in that worship was touched, was anointed with the holy oil. You go back and you'll read the recipe for that. Very good smelling. We can't go to God unless we have, well... That, that represents the, those things represent the perfections of Jesus. You, you go back and study everything that, I don't have time to do that. Uh, all, these, all these things that go into the ointment, they all represent the perfections of God, of Jesus specifically. And so we, we've, got to, we've got to have that on us. We've got to have Jesus. We've got to have Jesus about us. Isn't that the way we're supposed to pray? These things I ask in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it impossible really to properly pray without invoking the name of Jesus? And so it is with all of our service. It requires we come to him not in anything we can do, but in the perfections of Jesus. It requires our faith in him not only to get saved, but to serve him every day. The just shall live by faith, faith in Jesus Christ. Thirdly, thirdly, well, let's read this one. And Aaron shall burn uh, thereon sweet incense in the morning, and when he dressed the lamps, and he shall burn incense upon it, and when Aaron lighteth the lights in the evening, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout our generations. The incense again is sweet things. You can read about them item by item, ingredient by ingredient, the things that they represent, but basically to put them all together, they represent the perfection and the sufferings of Jesus. That incense doesn't do any good until it gets burned. Where Jesus is really powerful is when he was crucified. That's who we have to go before God with, his crucified son. He did that for us. 
And it sanctifies not only our soul, but our life if we'll depend on it and believe it. It will make us smell good. It won't make me smell like this world. It won't make me smell like, a, uh, 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 like an old rotten fish. It'll make me smell like God. Like His Son. And in His Son, He is well pleased. Okay, might make it. There's even some better things we can do. Boy, God can use you and make something that's really, really acceptable to Him. Amen. Songs, the fourth chapter and the twelfth verse. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain sealed. You know, this is about a woman and a man. Beautiful book. And this is Jesus talking about the saint or the church, whichever way you want to look at it. He said, thy plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, of camphor, of spikenard, and saffron, calamus, cinnamon, and all the trees of frankincense, myrrh, and aloes, and all the chief spices. A fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, and springs from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come thou south, blow upon my garden, that thy spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. He said, My son, give me thine heart. What's he want to do with it? Why does he want your heart? I think he wants to plant a garden. Your heart, before you can please God, has to be totally and completely surrendered to him. You know, to serve God, you've got to be saved, but you also got to get that heart in shape. That's why David in the Psalms is speaking about the, guard, the heart. Guard thy heart, for from it, from it come the issues of life. I've read to you already where he says, give me thine heart. He wants your heart. What's he want it for? It belongs to him. You see, when he died on the cross, he didn't just buy your soul. He bought everything, brethren. He bought your life. It belongs to him. Therefore, present your body a living sacrifice, holding acceptable unto God, which is your original service, because it is his. Amen. And he's asking for it. Give him that heart, all of it. Take all the wicked things out. And then you go to the nurseries of heaven. And you get your seeds. They can produce abundantly in a well-prepared heart. I do raise beds a little bit. I have about 200 square feet of garden and five or six raised beds. Uh, the spring happened all at once this year and kind of caught me by surprise. I got one of them planted. The other ones, they're growing weeds. I told my wife, oh my, that needs to be vegetables growing and not weeds. I didn't get them prepared. My life does that too much. Your heart's going to grow something. It's going to grow something. You're going to stink one way or the other. You're going to smell good or you're going to smell bad. Go to heaven and God will send the appropriate nursery stock.
That's where you got to get it. You got to get it from heaven. There's nothing on this earth that is worthwhile. Things like the seeds of love, faith, hope, patience, meekness, kindness, on and on and on. Those things come from heaven. And they'll grow abundantly if we give him our heart. You notice most of those things we was talking about a while ago, they, they're, uh, they're, uh, they smell good. A lot of them, some of them are fruit, but most of them were smell good stuff. In our, in, our, in, in, in our heart, we have to always hoe and rake and prune and all those things. Jesus bought this garden. It's his. He bought it with his blood. And he wants it. Separation is implied. He will fence around us. With us, there need to be an inside and an outside. There need to be some place down there that is you and God. You and God. And let God do his work. Now, if you do that, there's going to be some odor sneak out of there. Now, it's going to be rich down here, but it, it'll have an influence. You know, I pray that when this and other churches meet, that there'll be an odor come forth from here, a sweet-smelling savor that will have an effect on this community, the community where I pastor. Like a lot of other things, one thing is important. One thing I want to emphasize, lots of important things on this idea, but is location, location, location. Anybody know where the king's garden was? Well, let's go to Nehemiah. This is way further, many, many years later. But he gives us a hint. He says, but the gate of the fountain repaired shall, and they'd gone back, you know, uh, Jerusalem had fallen, and they'd gone back and were, were repairing it. And he said, the son of Colahosan and the ruler of Mezpah, he built it and covered it and set up the doors thereof, of the lux thereof and the doors thereof and the wall of the pool of Shiloh by the king's garden and unto the star, stairs that go down from the city of David. Number one, it was relative close to the city dump. Is outside the dung gate and to the east. You know where God puts his people? In the world. <laughs> In an old stinky dump of a world. Kind of the lily among the thorns, if you will. Isn't it wonderful to go through this old wicked world and come upon somebody that knows the Lord? You ever meet someone and get to swapping salvations and woo, it's good. You recognize that. You smell the good savor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, it's just down from the king's house. He comes in once in a while. He's always, like, always there, of course, but he manifests his presence. And then you can say there's another place in here that talks about the woman talks about my garden. And then she said he comes in into his garden. Your garden becomes his garden. He claims it. He comes into your heart and enjoys those sweet smells and that sweet fruit that come from the seeds of heaven. Amen. By the way, if you want to study more about this, go back 10 years and one day. On the 23rd of March 2011, my title was South of Mount Zion. It was about the King's Garden. 
Probably this was watered from off of Mount Zion. What happened on Mount Zion? Offerings every day. They washed all those. Lots of residue, blood and so forth came from those. It flowed downhill. I tend to believe a portion of it was diverted off this garden. You see, Jesus' gift not only saved us, it nourishes us. Amen. It makes it possible for us to be bountiful. It makes it possible, if you will. To have about us a sweet savor. One day soon, the saint will be in a new place. Though having never been there before, it will seem familiar and comfortable. The atmosphere there will be totally saturated with the sweet smelling savor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The savor first smelled by that saint somewhere in an altar.